Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor Clinton Montgomery brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. We started a series last week called Transformed, where we want to have a look at seven key areas of transformation that we believe is necessary in the season. Um, I think it's probably one of the things that could have been way, uh, much better suited for the beginning of the year, but we thought that uh, just coming out of the lockdown for the first time, hopefully the last time, um, that this is such a good time to actually reflect on our life and just some of the key things that, that needs attention because we drift without knowing it. We sort of slide down um, the, the way of least resistance. And last week we said that if you drift, you always drift into bad places when it comes to um, your life. That if you don't focus, if you're not intentional about what you're doing and how you're doing it, sometimes we just keep flowing downriver and it takes a lot of hard work to get back to where we need to be. We sort of reflected on this verse um, in Romans 12 verse 2 where Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And, and, and I think we all realize how easy it is to just conform to what happens in society that we just sort of drift downstream and we think that that's just the way that life happens. And the older we get, uh, one of my favorite authors, Dan Elinda, says we, we hit plateau and we sort of don't have our finger on the pulse of the need to change. We just stay stuck in, in where we are and who we are. And I think it's critical in this season to sort of, to sort of come not just to, to God but to ourselves and to say, hey, where have you drifted? Where have you allowed the slide to take you way further than you actually planned for it to go? Um, when you read that verse, it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking. So you've got to think differently about key areas in your life. And then it says, then you'll be able to prove the will of God. Now, easy question. Anyone here that wants to live the will of God for their lives? Quickly raise your hand. <laughs> what do we need to do? We need to allow change to take place in our lives. We need to think differently about critical areas in your life. So a verse struck me last week um, in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. I want to read it out of the message translation. Paul comes and he says, test yourselves. We like to test other people. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting when you start living with that perspective, test yourself. Talita um, joined uh, the playgroup a couple of weeks ago, and she had a conversation with one of the mums, and she heard that um, one of, uh, the, not one of her husbands, her husband, um, <laughs> just want to clarify, her husband, plays tennis, and, and Talita decided to test her dad. She said, hey, um, my dad is a really, really good tennis player, and he needs someone that could challenge him. So yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to test myself against him. And after we after he hit the first ball, I realized this is going to be a test. I failed the test. felt like maths. You know, those little experiences where you just can't figure it out. Now, yesterday morning was one of those where, where that testing yourself sometimes exposes some key flaws in, in where you are. And I think that's critical just in the way that we engage this season. 
to ask yourself the question, where do I need to test myself? Where do I need to examine where I am? Paul comes and he says, test yourself to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. For granted. It says, give yourself regular checkups. We love those at the dentist, don't, don't we? Just want to come for a checkup, everything's fine, and then you realize, oh, there's a bit of work that needs to be done. So give yourself regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Christ is in you. Now, this is critical because that verse actually speaks about that first-hand experience of um, the concept that he uses is knowledge. And I think so often we translate knowledge as something that we need to gain intellectual understanding. But when Paul speaks of this, he says you need first-hand experience, that the knowledge that you have of God needs to translate into an experience of God. That there is nothing, if you just know about Him and you haven't experienced Him, it doesn't bring the transformation required. And that's critical. I think thinking back about my own life, every key season of change was a season of me experiencing God at a different level, where the knowledge and the experience came together, and it helped me rethink just where I was. And that's our prayer for you, that you would actually engage very intentionally in this season to say, I know a lot about God, but what have I actually experienced about Him? How is the gap between knowing and experiencing, experiencing Him uh, grown smaller so that I can actually test and approve just my experience of God in this season? Paul comes and he says, test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. And that's our prayer for you, that you would do something different in the season, in those seven key areas of life. Listen to what Henry Ford said. He said, if you do, if you always do what you've always done, you've, you'll always get what you've always got. I think it was Einstein that said, if you do the same things and you expect different results, that's insanity. And I think in this season, we want to ask you to think differently about seven key areas of life. Not just to go through the motion, just to do the same things all over, over again. That's why we spoke about goal setting last week. Go and try something different. Come before God, allow God's spirit to speak to you, and ask him in one of these seven areas, what do you need to do differently so that your experience could change of that, of that area? So the seven key areas is um, spiritual health, uh, physical health, Asia will speak about that next week. And we have a real strong sense that we need to pray for physical healing next week in our services. So come prepared. We're trusting God for that. That in our services next week, we'll take a moment to pray for people um, for, uh, for physical healing. Mental, emotional, relational, financial, and, and vocational health. And, and sort of asking the question, where are you stuck at this moment? On Friday morning, I, uh, I had a golf game. And um, it was an important game because I was graded for my handicap. So I came all prepared, ready to have this great game. And just before I teed off, uh, my partner is in his 70s. Um, we play quite often together. He sort of looked at the ladies that were following us, and he said, this guy can hit a ball. And I stood there thinking, oh, come on, you shouldn't have done that. Because at that moment, I teed off, and, and I felt unsure about what I needed to do. And I swung, and I hit the ball, and it went straight up, and it landed about where Terry is sitting. <laughs> and I just felt myself, oh, everyone's looking. <laughs> Box is loaded, the putting green is loaded, and my ball's just there. 
So I walked confidently, took my first five steps to my ball, um, great drive, and I felt just breathe, just hit a shot, and I hit the best shot ever. Unfortunately, it struck a tree, and it rolled back one step further. And I just felt that sense of being stuck, that I'm, I'm doing, it's all the activity, it's all the energy, I'm trying my best to just get off the tee, and I'm not getting anywhere. And for some of us, we've had that experience in sometimes all these areas, or for some of us, one of these areas, where you feel stuck. There's just no movement. So I want to help you in, in, in thinking through the next seven weeks to understand that there's so much more available in our relationship with God. See, what, what we fell for for a long time is people said that the reward for Christianity is heaven, meaning that um, I need to get saved, and then I have to wait until I die, just try and live a decent life, and when I die, I get the good stuff. But Alan Platt, one of my mentors, made this comment. He said, the reward of Christianity is not heaven, but, a, um, but rather a restored intimacy with the Father. That the biggest gift that salvation brings us is the fact that we are back in relationship with our Heavenly Father. That the eternal life is available now. Jesus says that in John 17, 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. That the construct and the concept of an eternal life and the definition is not going someplace after you died, but it's, it's experiencing this full relationship with our Heavenly Father in the here and in the now. Knowing God and knowing the Son that He's sent. For some of us, we need to consider just what a checkup looks like. That have we defaulted to this relationship where we're saved and we're waiting, trying to live a good life and, and the good stuff will come after we die? Or are you in this life-giving relationship with your heavenly Father? Um, so this morning, I want to do three things. I want to help you just have an idea um, in terms of how to sort of do a spiritual health assessment, a checkup. There's three eyes that I want you to consider. Um, I'm doing the alliteration for me, not for you, because I get to remember them. So it's always helpful for me. Thinking about your identity, your intimacy, and your integrity. The first one, identity. Just listen to what happened to Jesus just after he got baptized. Matthew 3, verse 16. says, after his baptism, can I just say... So, so firmly believe that God will be speaking to people about their baptism experience. For some of you, you have been baptized and you need to refer back to that. Some of you haven't made the choice. But that was a critical moment in your life. And I sort of feel that, um, and, and I think about the word sometimes very simply, if it was good enough for Jesus to get baptized, it's good enough for me. That just follow his example. If God felt that that was critical in his life, I think it's something we need to consider. So after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Just think about this statement. This was before Jesus achieved any miracle, before he performed anything. His public ministry hasn't started yet. And from the outset, the proclamation from God the Father over His Son was, You are my beloved Son. That's something we need to grapple with. That we think it's important for us to earn God's favor and to earn ourselves into this position where we feel like we're children of God. 
But literally from the outset, before Jesus did anything, there was this statement over his life that you are my son. That God made this statement not because of what Jesus did, but because of who he was. We were created in the image and likeness of our heavenly father. And God makes this statement over your life because of who you are, not because of what you did. And it's critical to understand that God sort of solidified um, Christ's understanding of his own identity with that statement. And it's so important for us to hear that this morning, that when God looks at us, he looks at us not with any sense of disfavor, but he looks at us saying, you are my child. In uh, John 1 verse 12, John comes and he says um, that everyone who believed in Christ and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. It's sort of like Michaela, our five-year-old. Every time she gets out of the car, she walks to the fridge and the freezer simultaneously, and she opens both, sort of looking, what's in there for me? And it frustrates me because um, <laughs> she would stand there for minutes at a time, just wondering, what could I get? And she doesn't go to the Brussels sprouts, and she doesn't go to the broccoli. It's always the good stuff that I want. Um, but she does that because she knows she's got the right to do it. She's a child in my house. My biscuits, <laughs> I love tea and biscuits at the end of, of, of a day. That I've got to fight for them. Because if I don't get there first, it's gone. They, they'll have it for me um, with that. So there's something about being a child that gives you the right to express yourself in life. And I think for so many of us, we've lived as Ill illegitimate children of God. Just listen to what Romans 5, 8 verse 15 to 17 says. It says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. That's so beautiful. The, the, the concept of adoption is that someone chooses you. Someone says that you're good enough. You've received the spirit of adoption that gives us the ability to cry, Abba, Father. And it's that very same spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's an incredible statement around who you are, that you are a child of God. And when it comes to your just, just assessing just where you are, your checkup, just ask yourself the question, what comes to mind when you think about God and what God thinks about you? And if it, if it sits around guilt and shame and pain and condemnation, then you need to renew your thoughts so that you can experience the transformation that's available. Because God made it clear that he welcomed us to become children of God. And that's literally what happens when, when we get baptized. Um, baptism, for me, is the wedding band of the Christian faith. Sort of sit with people sometimes that say, I'm not sure about this baptism thing. It's like, I want to date the girl. I want to live with her. I want to have the children, but I don't want to get married. It's like, come on, man. Um, that's what baptism is. I still remember our wedding day. Um, I'll never forget it. I didn't get to have our wedding cake at our wedding ceremony because everyone wanted to talk to me. And when I got back, everyone ate our cake. So that's why I have biscuits and tea every evening. A lot of pain. Um, but more than that, um, on our way to the hotel, obviously a young man, I had dreams about your first wedding night. I had big dreams about that evening and realized that Melise wasn't feeling well and I opened up a bottle of wine and she fell asleep on our first wedding night. It was so, so sad. 
I remember sitting there watching television with the remote control thinking, it can only get better from here. <laughs> but I realized that, that day, a very important lesson, that your marriage is way bigger than your wedding day. We put all the planning into the wedding day, forgetting that this is a life. And this ring for me communicates that from that moment, every decision I make has been changed because of a day, a moment that I was joined together in marriage. Exactly what happens in baptism. That it speaks of a moment where you publicly celebrate the covenant between you and God becoming his child. And everyone celebrates that with you. And as you walk through this life, you think back on that moment. I think it's 1 Peter 3.21 that says, In baptism, we show that we've been saved from death and doom by the resurrection of Christ. Not because our bodies are washed clean by the water, but because in being baptized, we are turning to God, asking Him to cleanse our hearts from sin. So that's a great place to start in your assessment. Just what is your perception of your identity? The second one is all around intimacy. And, and this is one of those words that sort of, when, when you mention it, you've got some, some part of the crowd that says, yes, we need to speak more about intimacy. And then the other part that says, oh, I don't get this at all. The first time me and Melise prayed together, I prayed this great theological prayer. I used all the good words. And, and she came and she said, God, I can just feel me sitting on your lap and I can feel your breath against me. And I thought, what is this? You're crazy. <laughs> uh, but in time, I realized that, that I had to allow way more for me to experience God through her eyes. And she had to experience God through my eyes. And there's something in this that helped me understand uh, what it means to step into an intimate relationship with my heavenly father. It's not just this list of do's and don'ts and be good and understanding. It's a real relationship. When Satan came to Jesus just after his baptism, Satan came to Jesus and he, and he asked him the question, are you the son of God? What did he leave out? The word beloved. He actually focused on, yes, you are the son of God, but he took out that concept of, are you the beloved son of God? And I wonder how many of us live in that, where we know that we are children of God, but we don't have this understanding of being a beloved child of God. We haven't experienced this acceptance, this significance, this security that actually comes from being a beloved child child of God. So we go through the motions, we tick the boxes, we're like the lost son saying to his dad, I'll come back as a slave. And his dad says, no ways. You're coming back as a child, someone that has access to everything. Now, key place to sort of measure just where you are in your intimacy sits around prayer. Just what is your experience of prayer? And for some of us, it's a slog. We go into that little room of ours or the moment of prayer and we don't know what to do. We pray about all 15 of our cousins and everyone um, that we ever knew ever existed. And when we think back, then we realize we just covered 10 minutes. Um, and you don't know what to do. And I love something that Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, never pray more than 20 minutes, but never go 20 minutes without prayer. That there's something of this ongoing conversation with God where it's probably one of the things that blesses me most. The fact that I have the ability to turn to God in key moments. On the golf course Friday, when I lined up for that third shot, guess what I did? God, you need to help me. 
And I could feel he was smiling at this, thinking, Clinton, you needed this humility <laughs> in this moment. Um, and, and he was with me, uh, not in the golf game, but with me. Um, <laughs> still. But we need to rethink our time in prayer. And I want to make it really practical for you this morning. When it comes to prayer, think about these three things. Firstly, pick a time. As practical as that. How do you start your day or how do you end your day? See, most of us hope that we'll just find some time in the day to pray. For me, in the next seven weeks, it's a choice to say the first 15 minutes of my day. Not the first two hours, not the first six hours. The first 15 minutes of my day, I want to dedicate to God and allow Him time. Because I've realized that even if I start my day with that, He influences every other moment because it helps me focus my attention. So find a time. The second thing is find a place. I bought some candles. Melise looked at the candles and she said, no, this is going to our room. But it's actually for my little study. To light a candle, sit with my Bible and my journal. There's some great workbooks. Hopefully by now you've got one. It's a great tool to actually walk through in this journey. Uh, to read through, to allow those devotions to speak to, the, to you. It's not a perfect devotional, but it will align your thoughts around the key themes of transformation. And then the last one, have a plan when it comes to prayer. It can be as basic, um, and I don't think it's basic. I actually think it's the way Jesus taught us to pray. But just reflecting on Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, remember his disciples came to him saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus came to him and said, this is what you should do. And it forms the construct of how I pray every day. Starts off by saying, our Father in heaven. Just think about that for a moment. The, the beauty of the way that Jesus taught us how to pray includes us into that relationship. God, you're my Father, and I want to thank you for that. It says, hallowed be your name. Something that I did this week was just to think on God and just to ask myself the question, God, what don't I know about you? And I sort of felt, Clinton, what do you think you know? Um, there's so much about him that if you just allow yourself to dream and to imagine into this being, it just takes you to places that's incredible. Our God in heaven, who are you? Just how do I get a grip just for this season on another part of who you are? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me understand what you're doing in my life, in my sphere of influence. Help me understand what you're doing in this world and help me see my part in that. Just give us today our daily bread. What do you need? He actually invites us to pray that. That is a God that wants to provide and he wants you to voice that to him. But then it gets to a very interesting one. And for a lot of people, there's some work to do here. It says, Forgive our debts as we forgive those who have uh, the debtors against us. It's a place that we need to stick with. Just to say, God, in the last week, month, year, five years, what areas have been unresolved when it comes to forgiveness? Lead us not into temptation. Simple prayer. But God knows the areas of your weakness. You know the areas of your weakness. And sort of thinking through that, saying, God, in this day, I want to ask you to help me through that. And just saying, help me to not walk into the traps of evil. Because everything belongs to you and everything exists for you. Identity, intimacy, and the last one, integrity. Just listen to what Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty four. He says, the words that I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. 
They are foundational words, words to build a life on. He says, if you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. First one, your understanding of your identity. Second one, what happens in prayer. And the third one, how do you integrate God's word into your life? So I think a lot of people still need to ask the question, in what way have I allowed God's word to be the authority in my life that actually guides me, shapes me, determines the the principles that I live on? So the first thing that I think we can consider in this season when it comes to assessing my spiritual health is, how do you build your life on God's words? How do you think about your life through through the lens of God's word, especially revealed through Christ? The second one is you can't do that if you don't prioritize time uh, to, to actually read the Bible. It's an incredible book. We had a story this week at school where a young boy uh, that hasn't been to church, hasn't had an experience with it, actually was read a Bible story. And after listening to that story, he just went, wow. And he went to the teacher asking, can I have that book? Um, and that teacher was busy and she said no. But luckily another teacher was there and organized them a book. And the next day came back, he said, I read all of it. It was more a comic strip kind of Bible kind of thing. But he said, it's incredible what happened in the Bible. Now, for a young boy seeing that, I want to tell you, it's, an, it's a great book. Do whatever you need to do to get behind it. Um, and for that, you need a strategy. So for me this year, I've been working through the book of Romans, and um, I've been going slow. I don't want to cover the work. I actually want to go deep. Um, I'm at Romans 4, and I still, I'm, I'm looking at December 31 and thinking, I've got a lot of work to do um, with it. But it's been so life-giving just to sit and to, to work through God's Word in a, in a strategic way. So find a plan. You version is incredible for that. But you need to build your life, prioritize time, and you need to have a strategy. But then there's something that I think a lot of us miss. It's the fact that when I read God's Word, I've got to allow God's Word to read me. I've got to allow that book to speak to me in a way that shifts me. They call that revelation, where suddenly you read something that you've read so many times before, and it lightens up in you. And that's what I'm trusting for in this season. Because once that happens, you get to a point where you can ask the question, how do I apply what I've read? How does the word become flesh in my life? Critical in the way that we just assess where we are and what we do. So the question that I want to ask you this morning, um, just think about your perception of your identity. Do you come to God with that Abba Father? God, you're my God. What happens to you in your time of prayer? Is that something that God wants you to think through in this next seven weeks? Just gaining a bit of traction, depth in in your walk with God through prayer. And maybe thinking about how his word is becoming the construct of your integrity. But I want to ask you just before I pray to close your eyes and just to listen to these words again before we go into another um, few songs of worship. It's again referring back to Romans 8 where Paul says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption. God chose you. God made a way for you to come into this moment. 
So much so that he has invited you into this place where you can call Abba Father. And it's that same spirit that bears witness inside of you, that's sort of echoing inside of you, saying that you are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you're so connected to Christ that everything that is Christ's has become yours. So, Father, in this moment, we want to come to you, Lord. We want to ask you to help us understand just in our life what the next step could be to welcome the transforming power of your spirit into our lives, Lord. We read what happened in Jesus' life that after he was baptized, the spirit ascended on him, settled on him. And Lord, that's my prayer for every one of us this morning, that we would experience that descending of the spirit, that that settling of the spirit into our lives. Lord, leading us to that place where we could say, Abba, Father where your spirit is joining with our spirit, saying we are children of God. Lord, help us to come into a joint understanding with you around our identity, to experience the fullness of this intimate relationship with you, and Lord, to build our lives on your word to reflect your integrity in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.